know, parish orphans and retrogrades. I just thought I'd give a taste of my favorite chant of all time, the beginning of these. I love that line. January, February, early 2024 shows, Dies Irae. It's a funerary chant. And if you read the English translation, it is based. Beautiful. Frightening. This is my other favorite line there. So, yeah, DACRA. Dig it. Parachorphans of Retrogrades. We are in February. This is an accomplishment in and of itself. Why do I say so? Because, because I hate the month of January. More suicides in January. It's winter without the cheer of Christmas. It's everything evil on the calendar aside from the LMNOP takeover. I, I'm so happy to be in February. I hope you are too. Deus Volt. It's the year of our Lord 2024. And yes, I'm the victim of scope bite. All-time scope bite. Uh, yesterday was the last day of the deer hunting season here in my neck of the woods, literally, in this part of Mississippi. And um, got got eager for a shot and didn't. Is whenever whenever you see a man suffering from scope bite, they, he got kicked in the eye with his own scope. And uh, usually it just means that I was up in my hunting blind and I got too eager to take a shot. And I, I suffered the wrath of through 308 recoil. But it's happened before, it'll happen again. But, so, so today's show is a conceptual show, a concept. What is the illogic of Pope splaining? Now, contrary to popular opinion, I have many, many friends in the Catholic world who are Pope splainers. I'm not one of these guys that only has friends with people whom agree with me, whom I agree with. I would almost have no friends because I remember the kind of niche that that my ideology of ecclesiology carves out. I after the council, the church has been in trouble, yeah. After the council, we haven't had a really solid pope, yeah, I agree with all that. But the council's documents themselves are orthodox. That puts me in a, a group of, if you're judging by people that would check the box on that statement, that puts me mostly with the pope's plan. But no, 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 no. I don't pope-splain for this guy, and I'm not a papalatrist, a, a maximal papal guy. And also, I do hold the strong perspective, and I've looked at a lot of this evidence because originally I was doing a book on it. That book has been set aside as my fifth book, doing something else, that there was ill intent behind all of the vagaries hardwired into the, the four constitutions of Vatican II, that there was an intent there to confuse Codified heteropraxy is what we call, we're calling it in the book. Codified heteropraxy, but it was intentional vagary. We will slow release poison by using some vague turns of phrase 
that could go either left or could go right, we will, with the hermeneutic, require people to say, well, this is technically is orthodox, as it is. So you can't just say that's bad. Though, um, on a textualist basis, one will say that. On an intentionalist basis, if one's judging the intents, which is not, I'm not, a, I'm not an originalist intentionalist, one will say that that is intentionally faithful. And that, that's my position on Vatican II, which puts me in pretty much my own category. But on the question of whether or not Vatican II's documents are orthodox, I'm with mostly Pope's planners that start looking like they're coping because then you come along to Pope number 266, who is not using much weaponized ambiguity anymore. Maybe the first couple of years of the pontificate. But Francis does not use phrases that can go left or right. He uses phrases that pretty much go only in one direction. He just avoids putting the period on the sentence. He leaves a shred of doubt, Francis does, after 2013-2014, but he not much doubt. He pretty much states affirmatively the heterodox thing, and so all of a sudden I'm really not with the Pope's planners there, but I'm friends with a lot of these people. I'm friends with a lot of SSPX trads. I'm friends with... Some people that are, whatever, Benny Plenis, some people that are outright sedes. I'm friends with a lot of Pope-splaining, council-splainers. And remember, as I go through all this today, just because this matters, that I had the con side in the debate right after Traditionis Custodis came out. I debated with Tim Flanders of 1 Peter 5. Francis definitely has the authority to abuse um, in, in so far as he used it and abused it in Traditionis Custodis. Now, I'm a Latin mass guy. I think it's abusive. I think it makes him a bad pope. It's a bad prudential decision, but he had it. So I, I had that was my position, and I, I've never come off of that. What today's show will consist of is to do something no one's ever done which is to distinguish something like Traditionis Custodis from all of the big doctrinal issues that Francis is really unaccountably heterodox on, which are all natural law issues. Natural law, remember, is not the law of the church. Natural law is the moral law we learn from and about nature, we being the only animals that have natural reason, the only animals with reason. We are the, the rational animals, human beings are. So we correspond with nature. We communicate with nature in a different way from the animals. We pick up on all these hidden moral cues. There's no such thing as morality for animals. And Homer and Hesiod, a thousand years before Christ, were capable and were effectively, perfectedly, provenly capable of articulating the natural law because there's all kinds of references to it in Homer and Hesiod. It gets really robust in the writings of Plato and especially Aristotle, four centuries before Christ. And the natural law is something that can't ever be changed by the church. Because the natural law is literally something that all people inside, outside the church are responsible for. 
because it's so basic, it corresponds to the moral law that's knowable by human nature from and about nature nature. So the church has, has time and again articulated natural law cannot change. This is not like a discipline, the way Traditionis Custodis dealt with the discipline. This distinction has been altogether absent from all the Pope Francis conversations. The only thing I'm really, 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 really comfortable saying, eh, this is a contradiction, Francis is wrong, he's can't do this, and I have the fire of a, a thousand suns. As I make these bold claims, which stake a claim on my, theoretically, on my salvation and my family's, is when he transgresses against the natural law. That's a 100% slam dunk certitude that one can have. The very basic issues. Can you say murder is ever okay? Can you say homo sapienism is ever okay? Can you say contraception is ever okay? These sorts of things. It's really, really a position of fixed surety. And that's why I'm so sure there. And yet argue like a like a right-minded splainer and did so when it came to traditionis custodis. Well, I can't, this is a discipline. This isn't something that the church and natural reason has guaranteed is unchangeable. It's not. Disciplines are changeable. But so today's show is a natural law show. And I got into this conversation with my friend Jeremiah because he was, he's a friend, a personal friend. And he was mouthing off in our comm box. And so I called him right after the last show. And we had a really good talk. And he was like, okay, these are points that need to be made. You know, he, he kept saying that. I'm like, yeah, that's true. That's true. I have to make them. That's what we're going to do today. First, I want to call your attention to an important GoFundMe. Um, a family called the Friedels are now suffering the stroke of their young or youngish father, with 10 kids. The man's name is Robert G. Friedel. He's a good Catholic. I think he supports the show and watches the show. Had a sudden stroke. Most of his kids are still at home, so he's middle-aged, but when I say young, I'm, I'm not trying to mislead you. I mean, he's, I think, around my age, give or take five years. He's a man with most of his kids still at home. They are still dependent on him. Had a, a big stroke, is that right, Steph? Uh, sizable, sizable one that yeah, it looks like they um, need help from their GoFundMe. It says that he suffered an unexpected stroke this week, which left him currently unable to provide for his family of 10, six of whom are still living at home. Uh, I, I put the link in chat. It's help Robert G. Friedel's family. It's F R I E D L apostrophe S family. And I think they're just looking for people to. To help them out they've raised 12 grand of of 20 grand goal and let, let's if if you guys are so willing members of the body these causes are the ones that you should set aside your novus ordo parish money for don't give to the novus ordo parishes anymore if if you unless you have one of those unicorn parishes that are excellent set aside for a few times a year causes like Robert G. Friedel's family. Go find them on my GoFundMe. They're only trying to get 20 grand. It would be great if we could get them 50. That would be amazing. It's legitimate need. It's legitimately exigent. It happened suddenly. Let's do it.
Also, on a totally different note, we are fast approaching the 50,000 subs show. Grand celebration it will be. Many, many celebrated guests and call-ins there will be. Some of those celebrated call-ins, the most celebrated, will be your own good selves, Parish Orphans and Retrogrades, because you can call in and, and, and ask me anything within reason. We have a phone number we will announce on that show. We're not going to announce it before the show. So be ready to call in. Pepper us with your questions or comments. You're going to hear from lots of people you know and love, friends of the show, famous friends of the show. And the big reveal will be... Uh, Two in number. There are two announcements we have for 2024 that are going to rock thy world. It's just a big deal. Um, and we're really excited about it. And that show will be as soon as we hit 50K. So make sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell. And always, as always, support this show on Locals and Subscribe Star. So there are two things. Let's, let's take a paradigm instance. This is what I said to my friend, Jeremiah, who, who is going on minor Jeremiads against me in the comp box on, on Tuesday. And it was, it was just alarming. I was like, bro, let's, let's deal with this behind the scenes. And if I'll, I'll come on your show if you want to do whatever. But it was just shocking. It's always shocking with so many haters out there to see um, a friend behind the scenes going public before private. So we're all good. And I, I, I like doing public debate and at a lesser level, like public discourses where it's just two friends who disagree that aren't doing a formal debate, but are like, well, let me air out what I'm saying to you and more important than you to your listeners. But I, I like to know first. It, it, can be, it can be shocking doing this at times. So here's the paradigm instance that I said, look, we need to deal, we need to be dealing with the principle of contradiction and natural on natural law moral issues. These are most of the sex, or as Baron, Bishop Barron calls them, groin groinal issues. They can't change. Kind of like you can never. God Himself can't make murder moral. We'll talk about um, medieval debates at the University of Paris between Muslim Aristotelians and Christian Aristotelians, and why our faith is so fixedly uh, constrains. God to the principle of non-contradiction. God, the Son, is Logos himself, is the principle of non-contradiction itself, if we reason analogically. God's intellect comes before his will, and that's why he can't flip his will around and his intellect follow. He can't, rape can't be wrong one day and right the next day. If it's a natural law moral issue, which involves murder, but it, it involves mainly the sex issues, then even God can't reverse a teaching. And, and it's bigger than the church. It's bigger than Christians. Homer and Hesiod and Plato and Aristotle and all of the Greek, Greek tragedians talked about the natural law. They got slight things wrong. Aristotle got slight things wrong. The other Greeks got big things wrong. It can't change. It's the way that our, that, that ratio is adequated to our intellectus. Our mind is like a lightning rod receiving that lightning about moral truths. It's not... Moral philosophy is not like dogmatic theology where only a few people are smart enough to get it and only a few people really need to get it, right? Moral philosophy is simple. Let your yes mean yes and your no mean no, Jesus says. And it can't be complex because every single 
plebe out there, the dumbest guy on planet Earth, if, if the judge is just, and he is, if God is just, needs to have a fair shot, meaning these can't be tricky. It's not like you have to be able to solve partial differential equations to get into heaven because morality is the main basis on which we're judged. Does that make sense? That's why natural law is super basic. This is the stuff that should never change, and it's the stuff that for 265 pontificates never looked like it was changing because it's super basic. Even when John Paul II was squishy on some issues and Paul VI was squishy on others, and even Benedict XVI was squishy on some, they were never squishy on natural law. That's just obviously wrong. So let's use a paradigm instance where there's no vagary. It's crystal clear. And um, we want to use a Pope Francis test case. The test case will be February 2016. Let me set the setting for you. Amoris Laetitia is about a month and a half out, though we didn't exactly know when it was. We were waiting for it any week. It ended up being, I think, April, first week of April. So we're waiting a few months before, four months before the second family synod, the ordinary family synod, which queued up eventual Amoris Laetitia had ended in October of 2015. Now it's February of 2016. In, in South America, something called a Zika virus breaks out. A Zika virus is, is a virus that attacks a, uh, a baby in utero after it's conceived by one parent or, or both who have the Zika virus, and it gives them a condition known as microcephaly, a tiny head. This will be distinguishable from a, a test case like um, nuns who are afraid of being raped on the basis of something called action theory, and, and we'll, we'll get into it um, in due course. Pope Francis said that married couples were allowed to use contraception. On February the 18th, he announced that it became world news immediately in order to avoid the Zika virus. This would be similar to like if you're a higher risk pregnancy, but not, that's all Zika virus is. You, you know, it's a, if you feel like having sex with your spouse during this outbreak, you can either abstain if you're afraid, really afraid of, of your children getting Zika virus. This is the, the Catholic teaching, or not. But if you decide to have sex, all the rules apply. The principle of double effect is not triggered because um, the principle of double effect involves most intimately, it involves foreseeable causes, foreseeable causes that are not intended. If you ever intend to go have sex with your wife as a married person, then um, any pregnancy with any risk incumbent to the circumstances are, as a matter of course, intended. So people don't understand when the principle of double effect kicks in and when it doesn't because um, they don't understand that uh, an effect can be foreseen but not intended. If you shoot someone that's attacking you, you're, it's Yeah, you know they're going to die, but it's foreseeable and unintended. You're not intending to kill them. You're intending to defend yourself. This is, this is the basis of the principle of double effect. 
So Pope Francis said, go ahead and use contraception on February 18th, 2016, really clearly. Um, I think the next day I woke up, February 19th, I heard Pope Splainers Pope Splaining. It was Chris Albert and um, Patrick Madrid. And I called him and I was like, yo, the Vatican just clarified this. I brought this up the other day on the show. And they didn't know it. And how it was funny because I was at CBS and I, I had to call him. I had to get off the radio to get on the phone. Then when I got back into the car, they were freaking out because the clarification was so clear. That's why it's my paradigm instance for today. It's so crystal clear. What is it? Um, the mouthpiece for the Vatican came out and he said, yes, Francis did say this yesterday. Yes, he did mean it. And specifically, he meant the use of rubbers, condoms. South American couples can now use condoms. This is a revolution in the church. Um, these two minor Pope's planners were being honest. Um, Patrick Madrid and, and Chris Albert, both both nice gentlemen. They were like, okay, this, don't listen to the Pope on this. It is clear. We can't say it's not clear. They crystal clarified it, but don't listen. So they stopped Pope's planning. The, the, the groups out there that continued Pope's planning um, used Francis's bait. He said, well, there's some precedent for this, uh, which is wrong because it was a, a precedent involving nuns in the Congo that were being raped by Congolese rebels um, who had been carrying contraception. Once again, the principle of double effect kicks in with these nuns because they're never intending to have sex, right? They're using it like a shield, uh, um, contraception. So it is a maybe foreseeable, completely unintended effect. Principle of contradiction perfectly kicks in there. Actually, I don't even think you have to appeal to the principle of contradiction because they're being forced into an act anyway. But it would kick in, um, theoretically. That's not the case with Zika. Literally, it's, it's action theory that's kind of above the pay grade of doing a, an episode. This is what I'm doing my doctorate on. Definitely the principle of double effect doesn't kick in when you have an intended effect. Like a, a married couple that wants, that intends to have sex, just chooses to use contraception. So it was a false flag. And basically the takeaway is there, there's, there's no angles not being seen here that are not being reported by me now <clears throat> seven, eight years later. This is just what it was. Now we're in February. It's the eight-year anniversary of Francis doing this. He said you can use rubbers as contraception, perfectly clear. There's nothing to go explain. Many of the youngest post-splainers weren't even in the church. So when I was talking to my friend Jeremiah, I'm like, okay, this is our paradigm instance. What do you say? And what Pope Splainers will do here is they'll, um, they'll say, okay, that sounds really bad. That sounds really bad. They, th they think that's a concession. Um, and I'm like, it doesn't sound really bad. You have to understand the way that human epistemology works. We're made in the image and likeness of God. So you don't have to restrict yourself to just saying that sounds bad. That is a contradiction. Contradiction violates the principle of non-contradiction. When someone says yes one day and no the next day, that doesn't sound bad. That is bad. Our intellect is capable of adequating ratios, natures, the nature of yes, the nature of no, which is why Jesus says, 
Let your yes mean yes, your no mean no on moral issues. If someone says yes and no together, they're from the devil. Jesus says that. That's not an abstract interpretation. So when Pope's planners say, well, it sounds bad, they're already falling short. But they'll usually, they will usually be chased by saying, look, just don't dig around the contradiction. You don't have to do that in order to know because the way the human intellect works is it works by phantasms. We form phantasms which help us to make propositions. So if I say, um, I'm the authority in this room and I'm talking to my children, and I say the lights are both on and off in this room at the same time. They don't have to dig around that proposition. They detect, because this is what the human ratio adequator does, it's called our intellect, it automatically knows that's not true. So Pope Swingers will say, well, it, it sounds bad to say the lights are on and off in the room by Papa, that's me in this case, or Francis as the analogate, but just don't, just don't acknowledge the contradiction. Can you, can you do that? And I understand everyone's just trying to figure out what to do with constant contradiction coming from the, the pontiff. We've never had this. But no, that first one's a whiff because your brain has already done it. Your phantasms get formed automatically. That's how Thomistic epistemology works. We, our, our phantasms are formed by representations. That's why we're, we're modified realists. We're not non-realists. We're not nominalists. I know a lot of people haven't studied epistemology, but once you hear something through the sense impression, you automatically form phantasms. And from, I'm not going to explain the way the phantasms work, but they automatically go toward propositions. You, I know in this room the lights are on. If someone says they're on and, and, and if someone says, I think they're off, I'd be like, no, I think that's a wrong judgment. But we're not talking about judgment. We're talking about a lower level of the intellect called apprehension. If someone, what you can be certain of is if someone says a timeless principle, the principle of non-contradiction is inoperative. If they say they're on and off at the same time, this isn't just a matter of me thinking, no, I think you have the opposite judgment about whether they're on or off. I know whether I'm blind even, they can't be on and off at the same time, even if I don't know whether they're on or off. That's why it's so such solid ground, terra firma, to... Take Pope Francis to task on just this one of a hundred certain, not vague claims. He's made some vague claims too, but that was more front-loaded in his pontificate. He makes certainly wrong claims that violate the principle of non-contradiction where you either have to abandon this first principle of the way your intellect works. You wouldn't be able to read. You wouldn't be able to speak. Nothing can exist without the principle of non-contradiction. It holds, it's the fabric that holds the universe together. So that doesn't work. It also violates the natural law because these, Francis only starts bending the law of contradiction in rules of natural law that don't only bind Catholics. It's older than, natural law is older than when Jesus came to earth. It's older than the incarnation. Human beings all have, the, it's written on the heart like St. Paul says in the Bible. So even the pagans have the natural law. Good pagans can have the green halo, remember? So you could be certain if Francis says the lights are on and off in the room, he never says contradiction about that. He only says it about sex stuff, That's it, which is natural law. You can be certain. 
So it, it does no good because you're you've already formed these phantasms. If I tell my my three year old who has language, the lights are on and off at the same time in the room. They already know I'm wrong. So the, the kind of first response post planners give that's a non response is they'll say, "Well, just don't dig around and and try not to acknowledge the contradiction." And you're like, "It's already done." Speaking of light switches, it's like a light switch in your head. The proposition just goes off with really, really basic principle of non-contradiction, natural law issues. It just goes off. If you say murder's okay, murder can be illicit in all the ways it's illicit, but also licit at other times. The light switch is triggered. And that's what Francis has done with regard to divorce and remarriage, contraception, homo sapienism, all, all sorts of sex issues, groin issues. It's, it's there. It's a big matzo ball hanging out there. So that doesn't work to say just don't dig around because your epistemology, you are the one rational creature that has a body, automatically does this for you. It automatically knows. So then they'll say, okay, well, that's true. That's true when I walk them through. Then they'll go to number two. Um, well, but just don't say it publicly. And then, of course, I'll say, well, no, Canon 212 and um, a whole bunch of uh, catechetical points say you should correct your prelate if he makes a public error. Public error requires a public defense like I'm doing now. So it's terra firma, I'm certain. It goes off in my head automatically. The people that have heard it, it went off in your head automatically. We just need to tell everyone else out there that's only getting secondary or tertiary news that might not have heard the original thing. No, this is not defensible. Then they'll try a third position and they'll say, and this is where I was going with my friend, well, how do you know that the principle of non-contradiction is really Catholic? And this is a, a logical axiom, a first principle. All the other principles depend on it. The other principles of linguistics, the principles of epistemology and even ontology depend on the principle of non-contradiction. You can't prove it because it's one of the building blocks of arguments. I've explained this before. But if you take it away, the principle of non-contradiction, then there's a, uh, there's, there's a way you defend this. It's called retorsion. It's in the ninth book of Aristotle's Ethics, where somebody who attempts to deny a first principle, they say, oh, there's no such thing as uh, the principle of non-contradiction. Well, he just adverted to the principle of non-contradiction even in his denial. Imagine someone that says, oh, there's no such thing as assertions. It's another first principle. He's trying to deny it. He had to assert that there's no such thing as assertions, and he thereby used a performative contradiction. That's the principle of retorsion. It has to be there. It's more basic than even reading the Bible or listening to your prelate preach the gospel. The principle of non-contradiction has to exist. And th by the way, this has been defended by Thomas Aquinas and, and all the greats, but it doesn't need to be because it's more basic, more fundamental. So, so this is my, how my response works to them. The principle of non-contradiction abides. Like the ghost of Christmas past tells Scrooge, truth lives. We can't mess with it. Truth abides. Truth, the closest embodiment of truth in neurolinguistics is the principle of non-contradiction. And if you hear the Pope contradicting himself on something like, you know, the Latin mass, well, earlier medieval popes anathematized a Pope that ever took it away. Yeah, but this isn't, the reason that this is defensible 
without Pope explaining, is because this is not a natural law principle. When Pope Francis published and promulgated Traditionis Custodis, as bad an idea as that is, as much as I hate it, he had the right to do it because he's, he's not saying I'm not contradicting himself. He's saying this doesn't violate the principle of non-contradiction because it's not an, a fixed truth. I'm just saying I'm taking away this beautiful liturgy and, and leaving you guys stuck with a tacky one. I can do that. That's actually correct. So no PNC triggered. The reason that PNC, I'm just going to call it that, principle of non-contradiction, gets triggered in such a certain way with regard to the natural law is because you guys have forgotten your teaching on natural law. The natural law can never change. God can't change it. God himself can't change the natural law. The moral law that is communicated by nature to one animal, to one embodied creature, man, the one rational animal, the one thing that sets us apart from the other animals, we are animals, but we have an immortal intellect that doesn't correspond with an organ, and that intellect, the main reason we have the intellect is to know God and serve God and to do the service through moral act. Animals, if a lion eats my best friend, this is not an immoral action. If a human eats my best friend, that's an immoral action. The paradigm of reason generates the paradigm of morality. And when with natural law moral issues, specifically the sex issues, we've always told, we, we tell Protestants this, we tell secularists this, I know a lot of Protestant churches gave in in 1930 to contraception, the WEF contraceptive push at the Lambeth Conference, but and that was the first time they ever gave in. Contraception had always been seen as a natural law issue. It is. That's not an issue we can give them a pass on. It's not like, hey, we get that you don't have the, the sacraments, so yeah, do your best. Just go to your little Bible service on Sunday. We, we sort of give them a pass on that. You can't give them a pass on the natural law, moral issues, because that, that's knowable. This is a contradiction, a violation of a thing's basic knowable nature. The basic knowable nature of human reproduction is uh, new life. And so Homer and Hesiod knew a lot of this stuff. Plato and Aristotle knew it. When, when, Fran when Francis moves to contradict all this sex stuff that is a natural law issue, yes, I could cite for you St. Paul in the Bible, St. Thomas, St. Ambrose, citing the natural law, saying it can never be changed, not by God himself. Of course not by a pope. If not by God, then not by a pope. I could cite all that stuff, but it's also very, very, very basic. If you believe in the principle of non-contradiction, then when the pope says, certain people can use rubber condoms now, you have to pick. There is a contradiction in the mix. You have to say either because of natural law, the church was right before, or it's right now, but it can't be both. That is the embodied essence of PNC. Either when, when it's an NL issue, draw a line in the sand. I'm drawing it on my paper. On something that is natural law issue, we're not talking about disciplines. We're not talking about moral issues that aren't natural law moral issues because there is that 
area, it gets complex. We're talking about one of the natural law areas, the basic interference with an act's telos, contraception. Either the church was right until February the 18th, 2016, right? Draw a hard line in the sand. It was correct before it, or it's correct now. It can't be both. That means, conversely, that the church must be wrong in one of those eras. It can't be both. The lights cannot be on and off in the room. Now, I, so, so I'm, I'm giving you, I'm walking you, I'm attempting to walk you parish orphans and retrogrades through the basis for my complete security, saying murder can't be both wrong and right. I don't care if Pope Francis said it. None of the saint popes could have said it. Mary, the mother of God, can't say that murder is both wrong and right. God himself can't say that murder is both wrong and right. It's a natural law issue. Together with the principle of non-contradiction, we can be absolutely certain. Now, brief history on this, because people do care about the, the, the Catholic provenance of the ideas. When St. Thomas was dragged by St. Albert the Great to the University of Paris, now it's called the Sorbonne, in the 12th, 13th century, there were great debates happening because in Spain, in Moorish Spain, there was a dig going on that was year by year, decade by decade, unearthing more lost Aristotelian texts. Aristotle's the master of those who know. So there were Muslim Aristotelians at the University of Paris. There were even a few Jewish Aristotelians out of the Maimonidean tradition. And then there were Christian Aristotelians who were almost all Dominicans. The Franciscans didn't like these. But so you had different groups. And they were coming to different conclusions. The Muslim Aristotelians, who are, Muslims are a voluntarist faith. That means that volunteer means God's will, precedes his intellect. And because his will is, just think of it like this, bigger than, more powerful than his intellect for Muslims, he can change his mind. He can make rape okay. He can make multiple marriages okay temporarily and switch it back if God wills it. I say Deus Volt, that means God wills it. If God changes his mind, then because will precedes intellect for the Muslims, there is no principle of non-contradiction that's binding. And the Muslim Aristotelians ended up sort of capitulating to the Quranic, tyrannical, voluntarist impulse that runs strong through Islam that says God can't be bound by anything. The Christian Aristotelians, St. Albert the Great, St. Thomas, and those that followed, came reaffirmed this thousand-year-old teaching that God's intellect guides as well. He has no parts, so we're, we're speaking analogically here, but his intellect is what guides his will. Really, there's no real distinction there. And therefore, because he is Logos himself, like we know about the God-man, he would never contradict Logos because that would be tantamount to contradicting himself. That's the, the shorthand way to think about it. So no, the natural law issues cannot be changed by a pope. They can't be changed by God himself. And there were, there were Muslim Aristotelians and their followers, the Mutakalaban, uh, uh, Averroes, Avicenna, who were trying to figure out how to adequate the Quran with 
the Aristotelian tradition of natural law and the principle of non-contradiction. Because Aristotle's the father of natural law and the principle of non-contradiction. He didn't invent them. He was just the first one to uh, introduce them to mankind in a treatise. But in, in fiction, Homer and Hesiod had dealt with natural law and the principle of non-contradiction before. But so as they found Aristotle, the Muslims were at a dilemma, fork in the road. We can either stick with NL and PNC, or we can stick with the Quran. We Christians said, I mean, the Christian Dominicans said, oh, look, in the Old Testament, we don't have the same dilemma the Muslims do. We see concomitants. There's never a contradiction of natural law. Never, 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 never. And Thomas et al. have said, yeah, this is why God, God's will comes after his intellect, and so stuff will never change. So when you guys get spun off, you Pope Splainers, many of whom are my friends, your legitimate IRL friends, about Pope Francis can change whatever he wants. He's the vicar of Christ. Christ is Logos. The Catholic tradition has articulated always and everywhere that the Bible doesn't contradict itself, the magisterium doesn't contradict itself, tradition doesn't contradict itself, logic is good, sentio logic, propositional logic, symbolic logic is usable in theology. This is what Karl Barth and the Protestants hated. It's what even the Eastern Orthodox border on hating sometimes. You guys think you can do like a Venn diagram or a truth table, or you could use a symbolic uh, logic problem to show a syllogism about God. Well, not about like his attributes, but about his basic existence and some of the basic ontological rules of the universe? Yes. Cosmology? Yes. Exactly. And that applies more than anything to the basic issues that the hoi polloi, the basic people, the plebes, who will never go figure this stuff out, need. The natural law needs to be simple. You need to know, yeah, contraception, you can never do that. Yeah, homo sapienism, you can never do that. Divorce, you can never do that and then get remarried. Because basic people, which is 90 to 95% of the masses, never going to look into the, this stuff the way 1% will look into dogmatic theology or uh, metaphysics. You see? The more basic, the more responsibility, the higher the ground. If this is what we're based on, going to heaven or hell, then the basic people need to know this is knowable even to you, even if you're an IQ 75, you get the natural law and it will never change. And no pope can change it because God himself can't. That's the basis. That is the real basis. Natural law, PNC. For being really confident, all of these times where Francis has said, you can use condoms. You can get divorced and remarried, or you can, you can go get the, the sacraments if you're divorced and remarried, which is saying you can get divorced and remarried. You can bless uh, mortal sin. The slightly more dubiosity he introduced into that, but um, Amoris Laetitia was the big deal. You have the only correct interpretation, Buenos Aires bishops. Yes, people can get divorced and remarried adulterously now. Natural law doesn't change. These are natural law items. That's why I'm so confident, even though I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I like Dr. Peter Kwasniewski. I do. I hope he's right. I like Tim Flanders. 
I hope he's right. I like, I'm much closer temperamentally to all the trads, obviously. Everyone knows this. I love the TLM. I frankly really disdain the Novus Ordo. But I, facts don't care about your feelings. A discipline's different. That's not unchanging. Even if certain popes thought that they were, it's not an unchanging like thread in the fabric of the universe the way the principle of non-contradiction and natural law are. Okay? So this is my ground. It's been very consistent. I think I've articulated it well throughout this entire pontificate. Okay. So that that I wanted to lay all that out so that you guys have something to think about. If you see a, a, a flaw in the reasoning here, let me know. I'm interested. I'm very interested. There's an off-topic super chat question. I will take that, and then i got to get out of here. Um, let's hear it. Uh, it's from uh, JD asks, book recommendations, 15th century covering um, Pius Eleventh and European history and Vatican One. Um. If you're asking about the history, uh, I would get, I don't, I don't know, I mean, that's a good question. I don't have offhand. What I would really get is, is, is learn about the period of history. There's a lot of articles online. Learn about the period of history during the American Civil War, Lincoln's correspondence with uh, Garibaldi, who is the general, the Freemason general, who attacked the Vatican and stole all our lands and unified Italy. This will help you to understand why Pius IX loved Jefferson Davis and the Confederacy and why he associated himself with them. Forced unification, forced unification in a grand republic when you don't want to be part of one is liberalism. And Pius IX hated Garibaldi. He knew Lincoln had written Garibaldi and said, hey, what you just did, you just leveled the Vatican, stole their lands, forced the Vatican into the Italian boot nation when the Vatican wanted to be separate, I want you to come across here and do that to these Confederates. That's the most important thing for world history happening in the late 19th century. There are some good resources, but I'll have to, I'll have to marshal them for you. But you can find them online. That's what you need to target. Some great papers. This is why you didn't hear a rumor. Lincoln was hated by Pius IX, or, I mean, not the person, Lincolnism was hated because it had happened at the exact same time in Italy. The Italian unification, that's why they hate the wedding cake building there in Rome. Um, Garibaldi and Vittorio Emanuele, the king, that's why they forced a little nation that wanted to stay little, the Vatican, into the big, immoral, liberal nation. That's what happened this side of the pond. And um, Pius IX wrote Jefferson Davis a consolation letter and allegedly made him a crown of thorns. And it was a really beautiful kind of friendship. He was the only foreign leader that called Jefferson Davis president. Why? Well, I just told you why. And it is the most important thing happening in the latter half of the 19th century. Uh, pull your resources there. God bless you all. And I will be back next time. Deus Volt. Sorry, I didn't.
Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb.